Good morning. Please be seated. Again, welcome and thank you so much for being here. You guys, thank you all so much for that. Cole, thank you for leading this morning. The Newsom's are away on a little vacation today and we're so thankful and blessed as a church body to have folks that can step up and we don't miss a beat. And I'm so thankful for the way that the Lord's blessed us with, uh, with those abilities and with those gifts here. Uh, you guys... You guys don't miss any of us paid people when we're gone, and I'm so thankful for that. I'll be gone uh, in a few weeks for a vacation myself, and y'all will get a better sermon when I'm gone than when, I get, when I'm here. I'm confident, so very thankful. If, we, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 23, uh, which is what we just sang. But before we get to that this morning, um, if you'll, inside of your worship folder as you came in this morning, there was a, a ballot uh, for you all if you are members of Malvern Hill. And just, we're not going to check membership status, but uh, uh, this is uh, honor, honor code here uh, for members of the church here. Uh, over the last three weeks, our church has considered the refocus plan that, was, that I presented on Sunday, May 23rd. The refocus plan consists of aligning our church around four areas of focus in the coming years. Those focus areas are, number one, to meet the needs of our church, number two, to reach our community, number three, to strengthen other churches, and number four, to reach the world. Today, you've got an opportunity to vote as to whether or not we will move forward. This is not a vote to spend any money. This is a vote to put together a team that would help us to create specific ways. So the church, if the church votes to move forward, you will be given an opportunity in the coming weeks to nominate members for a refocus team. This team will work to develop a specific proposal to align our church with the focus areas mentioned above. A yes vote is a vote to move to the next step of nominating and then approving a team to develop a plan for future implementation, please circle your vote. Uh, and then you've got an opportunity to circle there. We're going to ask you to do that. And then as the offering plate comes by or on your way out this morning, you'll drop that in the plate and our, our deacons will tally those votes. Somebody has asked, why in the world are we going through so many steps in this process? And, and the whole purpose behind that, we, we, we hope and pray, is that if this is the direction the Lord's leading us, we believe he'll lead all of us in that direction. And so as a church body, we have an opportunity to come together at each step along the way to uh, not only identify what uh, we believe God's will is for our church, but also to figure out exactly how we're going to implement those things. So um, please do that uh, before you leave today, and then in coming weeks you will have an opportunity to nominate and then approve those uh, members of that team. A few other things, please note that Vacation Bible School is around the corner. You saw that when you came in. There's stuff all over the place already, and there will be even more by the time you arrive next week. But uh, we're thankful for those. Please be in prayer for Vacation Bible School. Please be in prayer for our leadership, especially for Rhonda Adams and April Garbade as they uh, lead that show for us. Pray for them uh, in the weeks ahead. That, that uh, will kick off a week from tomorrow. Uh, next Sunday is Father's Day. Dad, you know, y'all don't get near as much joy around here. We don't, we don't celebrate y'all the way we celebrate moms. Moms, we give you the whole day off. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Y'all get to go home and eat something, and you got to come back up and decorate for VBS. So, you know, none of these women would ever recommend VBS to happen the week of Mother's Day, but Father's Day, they don't even care about us. I mean, the one time we should get a nap, and instead we're going to be here. So, uh, but next Sunday... Uh, next Sunday, the, the, uh, the building will be open all afternoon so that you can come up and do all the decorating you need to do. Uh, if you need to get in at some time other than that, please just call the church office um, and we'll take care of you. Or you can reach out to April or to Rhonda and they will do whatever it takes to make sure that you guys get what you need to do so that we've got all the things ready for Vacation Bible School. Okay? All right. Having said all those things, thank you so much for being with us. It is my privilege to stand before you this morning, and I'm actually very excited about the message that I believe that the Lord has for us as we preach and, and listen this morning 
to what God is, I, I believe, screams at us from Psalm 23. The Lord is indeed our shepherd. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read to you? A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray for the outpouring of your Spirit upon us today. Father, we come as needy men and women, Lord God, desperately in need of a fresh touch. From our good shepherd. Speak to us this morning. Change us. Lead us. Guide us. Father, and if there be one, two, three, four among us who does not know you as their good shepherd. Today, Lord God, I pray that the gospel would scream loudly. That they would discover this God who provides for them. Not only release from sin and pain, but hope forevermore. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 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 We are not off to a good start this morning, are we? I'm glad that y'all knew what I meant. Have you ever been afraid? Side note, let me just say this. I think I'm so excited about preaching this because really and truly the only time you hear Psalm 23 is at a funeral. Folks, I want you to know that God's Word is good for us in all times of life. And God is your good shepherd in the darkest days without a doubt, but He's your good shepherd today as well. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been in one of those places in life where there seemed to be an enemy lurking around every corner? Those of you veterans here today who have served in war zones in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Vietnam can speak of the terror of not even knowing who the enemy is or where they might be lurking. You guys can speak of that in ways that I can't even understand. The closest I've come to experiencing that kind of discomfort, that kind of fear, happened in July of 2009. We always travel to the upstate for the 4th of July to spend time with my family, but in 2009, between June the 27th and July the 4th, Five people were shot and killed at random in Gaffney, South Carolina. Later on, the man that was responsible for those murders was actually killed in a shootout with police on July the 6th of that year. But July the 3rd and the 4th, that area was really encapsulated in fear. My parents live about 10 minutes outside of Gaffney. And so while we were there in the upstate visiting, the entire community was on edge. There had been public murders of people within that community. One man was shot in his place of business. Literally out in the community. We weren't seeing people with concealed weapons, but people were openly carrying weapons. Went to examine some hunting property that I had uh, access to while we were up there. And I, I remember the first time in my life I passed a fella 
who, who um, I did not know, but had access to some property adjacent to it, and we were out uh, in, uh, in the woods there together. And as he walked past, he made sure to show me that he was armed. And it wasn't a show of threat so much as a show of fear. Everybody was, was on edge. Everyone was on pins and needles because five innocent people had been gone down. We've all had some times of fear, but that for me showed me a time when an entire community was in desperate need of safety, of security. They were looking for confidence that they were not in regular danger. Folks, even if that's not been your experience or you've never been to a war zone, perhaps you know what it's like to just be afraid and to have the desire that there be someone near you that could provide to you a level of safety and security, a degree of confidence that this dark, scary world would not swallow you up. The Bible teaches us that the Lord is this shepherd. And this morning, I want us to wrestle with the question of what is it that this good shepherd does for us? Psalm 23 is, as I've already mentioned, so often a funeral psalm. As a matter of fact, it's so regularly a funeral psalm that some people come to me and say, please don't use that at my funeral. It's been at every funeral I've ever been to. They say, please don't use that. But Psalm 23 is a reminder that the Lord is our shepherd. He is our caretaker, our guider, our our deliverer, our protector, our feeder. The Lord is our shepherd. So what does he do? The first thing we see in Psalm 23 this morning is that the Lord leads. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads us beside still waters in paths of righteousness. And he even leads us through the dark places. The Bible says that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He leads us through those times. The Lord, as our shepherd, leads us. He guides us. He walks with us. But note, he also makes. The Bible says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Some of your translations might say something like that he allows us. He makes or allows or brings us to lie down in green pastures. The idea behind this term is an idea of causation. Don't miss that. The Lord takes us there for the purpose of getting us to lay down and rest in those places. God takes us to the places where we find refreshment. If need be in his leading, he makes us to lie down. How many of you ever had a child that you had to make lie down? How many of you can remember, especially with, with an infant that just could not figure out what in the world they were supposed to do? And we had to force them. To, you take an infant and you even swaddle them up tightly so that they have to lie down and rest the lord is our shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down he makes me lie down in green pastures part of god's good leadership is him knowing what we need far better than we ourselves know what we need he leads us to rest and if we won't listen sometimes the lord puts us on our backs for our own good 
The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The shepherd leads us to places of nourishment and refreshment. Now, he might make us to lay down, but it doesn't say that he forces our head into that cool still water, does it? Sort of that whole, you lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tempt the Lord to, to hold your head underwater. He might if that's what you need. I've threatened to do that with somebody who want to baptize you. I appreciate some of y'all laughing. Those of you that have never been baptized, I won't hold y'all under, okay? It's just the really bad ones that get held under. The shepherd leads us to these places. How about this? When the Lord heard the cries of his children in Egypt, you recall that. The Bible says that God heard the cries of his people and he delivered them from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. And folks, that's what we talk so much about is that God delivered them. God set them free. But that's not all that God did. God set them free from Pharaoh, but he set them free to follow him. The Lord led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Lord led his people. He was with them, directing them, guiding them. God delivered them from slavery, but he delivered them not to themselves, but to himself. But God's leadership is intimate and personal. That pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire, it was among the people, wasn't it? It was leading them, but it wasn't far off. It was near enough where they could see it, where they could grasp it. I can't help but wonder if perhaps if they got near enough, they could feel the heat from the fire as it led those people, that perhaps they could get close enough to bask under the shade of the clouds that the Lord had sent. The Lord is our shepherd. The Bible says he's a shepherd. He's not a cattle rancher. I'm not much with cows. And by not much with cows, what I mean is I know nothing about cows except how to eat them. I'm pretty good at that. So if that makes me a rancher, I am a cattleman, let me tell you. But he's, he's a shepherd and not a cattle rancher. Shepherds do not drive their sheep on horseback. They walk among them, leading, guiding, caring. Jesus refers to himself in John chapter 10, as Buster read just a few moments ago, as the good shepherd. But you know that we see something of this shepherd's heart, not only in John 10, but all the way back in John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, we are told, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word took on flesh and did what? Tabernacled among us, lived among us. Here we see the heart of the shepherd who lives among his sheep who walks with them, around them, in and out among them. God has always walked among his people. But in the person of Jesus, and then in the sending of his Holy Spirit, the ministry of God among his people is even more intimate. The Lord is our shepherd. He's not a CEO sitting from afar barking directions and commands. He is a shepherd who walks among his people. 
How is it that our shepherd leads? What does our shepherd do? The shepherd leads us. He leads us intimately. He he leads us even in the, the hard, scary places. But he leads us because he desires to be with us. Let me ask you a question, though. This shepherd who leads, are you leadable? Are you coachable? Are you teachable? If we have a God whose heart's desire is to lead us by walking and living among us, do you look in the mirror and see someone staring back at you on a regular basis that is able to be led, able to be coached? I've spent just a little bit of time coaching. I've coached some little league, which I'm terrible at. I've coached some football, which I'm slightly less terrible at. But you know, I, I, it's always fun when you're coaching to find a kid who's coachable. Man, I can take a kid who's coachable, and we can do some incredible things. You know, a kid who's coachable, when, when, you, when you bark correction at them, they, they actually change what they're doing. When they've been going this way, and you say, go that way, they say, oh, let me go this way. And we can take some kids with all kinds of talent and they're going this way and you say go that way and they say, no, I think I know what I'm doing. Guess what? All that talent just gets flushed down the toilet because they're not teachable. They're not coachable. How many of you teachers have seen the the situations in your classrooms where you look at these kids and you go, please just listen. There's a future. There's hope for you. But you've got to stop doing it your way. You've got to do it my way. These are the teachers that come alongside their students, right? With an arm around them that says, this is the way. Your way will lead you to failure, but this way can lead you to success. Teachers, let me encourage you to put your arms around those kids and guide them, shepherd them. But teenagers, listen to me. You're setting a standard in your life today for what you'll be when you're 35 years old. If you choose to be inflexible at 15, you will reject authority and be inflexible at 35. I want you to know that. I want you to hear me when I tell you that if you think you know more than everybody else in your life at 15, you'll believe the same thing at 35 and you will be a failure at life. Some of you, though, are grown and you continue to be unteachable, uncoachable, unleadable. And you say, Lord, why can't I do this? And folks, the answer is often because you refuse to lay down by green pasture, in green pastures. The Lord leads you to places of righteousness, but instead you choose your own sinful ways. The Lord leads you beside still waters, and rather than drink in the blessing of God's presence, you reject it. The shepherd leads. Your shepherd stands ready to lead you. Will you allow him to lead you? Will you allow him to lead you? We have this God who loves us enough not to to impose his will too much. He will push and he will prod. He will lean and he will encourage. Folks, he will do all that he can to get our attention. But if if we choose to remain obstinate, let me tell you something about who our God is. He will give us what we want. He will give you your heart's desire. And if your heart's desire is to reject Him, ultimately, eventually, He will give you that. The Lord, though, is your shepherd. 
He desires that you shall not want. He wants to make you lie down in these green pastures and lead you beside still waters. He wants to restore your soul. Will you allow him to lead you in paths of righteousness? The shepherd leads. The second thing we see this morning is the shepherd protects. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff. The shepherd protects us from outside dangers. You've been in church long enough, you've heard this story, right? Well, the rod is, is sort of a club that a shepherd would use to drive away the predators. The staff would be a, a longer stick, more of a, a walking staff. Sometimes, not always, with a crook in the end. We like to envision them with a crook because that's the classic look. Some of them would have been lucky enough to have that. Half of them would have had a crook that was broken off or they never were able to carve well enough to have their crook. But the purpose is that longer stick is just to get their attention. Just to push them around, right? No, 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 you don't go that way, go this way. That longer stick saved the shepherd a lot of steps because when that, that sheep was a little bit further than he could reach, it was like that, you know, social distancing thing. He could reach out there six feet and bring them back. Come back around. No, 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 don't go that way. The shepherd protects us from outside danger, but the shepherd also, you ready, protects us from ourselves. Oh, how often has the Lord needed to protect you from you? I hope that when I get to heaven one day, that the Lord gives me a healthy dose of humility by doing this. Hey, moron. He probably won't say that because he's sweet and kind. Just when you thought you had it all figured out, I'm going to give you a slideshow of all the times that I interceded to keep you from messing something up. I'm going to show you all the times when my grace went ahead of you to protect you. When I protected you from you. I suspect that if the Lord is gracious enough to give me that slideshow, I will give him more glory than I have in this life. That I will have the curtain pulled back and I will see that God as my shepherd has protected me. The good shepherd protects And he protects us not only from outside predators, he protects us from ourselves. 14 years of parenting, one of the things that I've had to do more than once is to protect one of my kids from running out into traffic. Some of y'all might have better kids than me, but most of us have had to do that at some point. And if you see a child stepping toward danger, I'm going to tell you what you don't ever do. You don't go, "Let let me carefully coddle this child up. Right? When you see that child wandering towards danger you you reach out and you save them you do all that you can if all the thing you can grab is the back of a shirt you grab a shirt and you pull grab one of my kids not too long ago said you grabbed my hair i didn't mean to grab your hair what what i was going for it didn't feel good i'm sorry but you're still alive about 15 years ago i was running i've I've told this story from the pulpit before i believe but some of y'all are new so i'm gonna share it i've been here long enough to be able to rehash my my stories i'm excited about that for those of you who've been here all 14 years i'm sorry but about 15 or 16 years ago i was running with some students at my former church along a dike on the backside of charleston southern university and on this side there was some dry ground and on that side there was a swampy area And we're running along, and those kids are about to kill me. They were cross-country runners, and I'm trying to be the cool youth pastor who's running with these guys, you know, helping them stay in shape during the summer. And I was dying, okay? I, big boy, was not keeping up well at all. 
It was humid. We're in Charleston. They're not even sweating. And I hear an alligator coming up out of this swamp on the left side of us. And I'm trying to get up to them, and I can hear this gator coming. And as we get close, I finally reach out, and I grab, uh, there's two brothers, and I grab the oldest one, and I grabbed him by the back of his shirt, and I yelled, I said, stop. And when I did, his feet came out from under me, landed flat on his back. I didn't care because I didn't want him running in the path of this giant alligator. There was no alligator at all. <laughs> two big bucks jumped up out of that swamp and ran off, pretty as you can see. Just like twin eight points about this wide in velvet that ran through that swamp. It was a beautiful sight. He didn't get to appreciate it because he was laying flat at his back. But I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> Folks, when those people that we love are in danger, don't we do all that we can even if we have to to protect them from themselves? You don't know what you're running off into. I met a guy years ago, and I remember trying to minister to him, trying to lead him towards the Lord. He had a wife, a couple of kids, young children, and somewhere along the way, he became convinced that his wife and his children were just a burden on him living the life that he wanted to live. I convinced him to come and meet with me in my office. I'll never forget looking at him and begging him. Please don't leave your wife and your children. Brother, don't do this. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin their life. Stop. He chose his sin rather than his family. It broke my heart. Ruined his family. Our shepherd works to protect us from ourselves. When's the last time that God tried to save you from yourself and rather than being teachable, coachable, leadable, you said, God, leave me alone. I'm going to do what I want to do. Your rod and your staff, they comfort and guide me. They protect me. The good shepherd protects us. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus has come to give us life, but not just any sort of life. You ready? An abundant life. That's the promise that he brings to us. And we want to come and say, he pulled my hair when he tried to save me from running out into traffic. And the Lord's saying, I pulled your hair, but I wanted to save your life. The good shepherd protects. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come to give you Life. God will protect us from outside harm. But make no mistake, when necessary, the Lord works to protect us even from ourselves. The Lord has a staff as shepherd. And I feel pretty confident that because He is gracious and kind and merciful, that the Lord's desire generally is just to gently direct us in the paths of righteousness. But sometimes... A sheep will be obstinate just like we can be. And perhaps sometimes the Lord takes that staff and he whops that sheep on the top of the head and says, are you paying me attention? Get in line. Why do we need that? The Bible says that we are the shepherd of the sheep of his flock. Why does the Bible call us sheep? Because 
The Lord knows what we don't like to acknowledge about ourselves, that we often are like dogs that return to their own vomit. We are not intelligent. We choose our sin rather than our Savior. I should have put it up on the screen. Any of you have the opportunity to see the video that made its rounds a few months ago of the sheep, I believe, in Scotland that fell into the ditch? And the little boy shepherd saves the sheep. He reaches into this ditch and he grabs the sheep and he pulls it out by the back leg. And this little lamb actually jumps up and he bounds and he bounds. And he takes three, three jumps and then, boom, right back into the ditch. But folks, isn't, isn't that really just an image of our lives so often? That the Lord pulls us up out of the miry pit, sets our feet on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And we jump and we jump and we jump and we find ourselves right back into the pit. Let me give you this word, hope. He's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Lord, how many times shall we forgive, the disciples said. Shall we forgive a lot, Jesus said, about 70 times seven. How about over and over and over and over again? Because as we saw last week, he is our advocate who stands in the gap on our behalf advocating for us because he loves us. The Lord is our shepherd, and the shepherd leads us, and the shepherd protects us. And finally this morning, the shepherd brings us home safe. Saving Private Ryan, of course, is, I guess, the illustration we have to run to almost, isn't it? You've seen the story. The brothers have all been killed in battle, and the Department of the Army says, hey, we, we, we can't allow this one to perish his mama needs him at home and so the entire picture the entire movie is built around these bitter soldiers going to rescue this one soldier and to take him back home safe so that this one mom in in, in the midst of everything else wouldn't lose all of her boys their goal was to bring him home safe Folks, I want you to know the shepherd gets us home safely. The shepherd gets us home safely. The Bible says he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I looked that up this week to make sure I had a good understanding of that. And one of the notes I came across gave me a richer understanding. When the Bible says that the Lord puts a table before us in the presence of our enemies, it's a banquet table. The Lord spreads out a banquet for us. Now, it's, it's possible that the purpose of this is to represent sort of a military victory. And that the Lord puts the victors at the banquet table in the presence of his enemies. But I love this, this comment that I came across this week. That the Lord puts us in that place in the presence of our enemies. And it teaches us this. They are powerless to stop God from doing what he wants to do. They may desire to starve us, but God feeds us. In the presence of our enemies, the Lord says, these are mine. Folks, God rejoices over us. He feeds us while our enemies look on powerless to stop it. I want you to have confidence in this truth. God will get you home. God will get you God will get you home. 
I love to preach about this at funerals. So I'm not going to lie. Don't feel bad if you want Psalm 23 at your funeral because I love to preach it. And one of the reasons I love to preach it is because I love to remind a sanctuary filled with people with a casket sitting right here that though their loved one closed their eyes in this world and took their last breath three days ago, that though it may have seemed for just the briefest of moments as though death had won, I want to remind them all that the shepherd steps in with a word of confidence and power and says, this one is mine, and those whom the Father has given me are mine, and no one can snatch them away. Jesus, our good shepherd, steps in and says, yes, I am the good shepherd with a rod and a staff, but I'm also the good shepherd with a bloody cross, and that bloody cross that took my life gave life to this one, and they belong to me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. Some of y'all hadn't got to be at a funeral with me. And I'm going to tell you, I say this at all of them. So if y'all ever get tired of hearing it, quit coming to the funerals I preach. Because I'm going to keep saying it as long as the Lord allows me to preach them. When the Bible talks about the house of the Lord. And when Jesus, in John chapter 14, speaks of his father's house, the King James did us a bit of a disservice. And and the King James didn't really do anything wrong. The King James interpreted things in accordance with the language that was was comfortable and common in that time period. But in the King James, as many of you memorized it, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so we've sort of interpreted that to believe that the Lord's got this big golden house for me, this big mansion laid up for me in heaven, and that's what it's about. Folks, the truth of that verse is far richer and deeper and far more powerful than that God has finally built for me my dream house. John 14 is not HGTV for Christians. That would be heaven and garden TV. That was terrible, wasn't it? Sorry. I thought it would work, but it just really fell flat. But good, I got your attention because I want you to hear this part. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. In the Hebrew, that would be in in the bet of the house of my father. The only time you've ever heard that, that, that similar language would be in the place where Jesus was born, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. That's the closest I get to Hebrew, so you know. But literally means the house of bread. In the bet of in the, the house of my father, there are many rooms. Psalm 23 says, I go to no, it doesn't. It says, it says he does what? He will take us to dwell in the house of the Lord, in the house of the Father. Who is the Lord? The Bible says that that Lord, Jesus said, You call him Lord, I call him Father, and we now are his brothers. You ready? Here's the exciting part. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And he didn't rent us a room. And he didn't get us an Airbnb. He said, I'm bringing you to my house. I'm bringing you to my daddy's house. And I want you to meet the family. And I want you to sleep there. And I want you to get up and drink coffee with us in the morning. And I want us to laugh into the evening. Because why? I want to be with you. 
When Jesus says he's bringing you home, he's not promising to make you rich according to worldly standards. Jesus says, I want you to be with me. I want you to be in my family. And then his promise is this. All of hell may rise up against me, but you will come home safe to my father's house. John 14, 6, Thomas said, Lord, where in the world are you going? How do we get there? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. We can't read John 14 without Psalm 23. We can't read John 10 without Psalm 23 because Jesus says, I am that God. I and the Father are one. What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd brings us home. And he prepares a table. And he dares anyone to rob his children of their food. We read about the wedding feast of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. And there we are told that Jesus will one day sit us all down and celebrate the final consummation of all things. Folks, I want you to know there are those who desire to keep you from experiencing salvation, hope, joy, and forgiveness. Listen to me. There are some of you who are here today who have experienced hurt and pain in life like I can't understand. I I want y'all to know that I know you're here. Some of you know what it's like to not be wanted or loved or cared for. Some of you know what it's like to be hurt by those who are supposed to love you and care for you. I want you to know that the good shepherd says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The good shepherd says, I will get you home safely. The good shepherd is in control. But who is this shepherd? See, we jump straight into the Lord is my shepherd without really taking time to remind us all that the Lord is our shepherd. It's really wonderful when we allow God's word to interpret itself. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the King of angel armies. Right there in the next psalm, Psalm 24, answers our question as it asks in Psalm 24, verse 8, Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want the Lord the creator of the ends of the earth. He is powerful, mighty, holy, righteous, omnipotent, and just. But he's also kind, meek, lowly, gentle, and humble. Do you understand? He is the king of the universe. But he cares for his people with a tender, gentle hand. If the only picture that we have 
of the Lord is of shepherd. We may be inclined to believe him to be weak, lowly, meek, and humble. I want you to know that he is all of those things, but only because he is gracious and kind and desires to love you right where you are. The king of glory, the creator of the ends of the earth, the God who is omnipotent, mighty, powerful, and strong, chooses to love us in gentle, meek, and lowly ways. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. As we close this morning, I want to wrestle with this question, not simply what does this shepherd do, but how does this shepherd love? My prayer for weeks now, weeks over and over and over again, is that the Lord would send revival among our church and to our community. I pray over and over for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. I pray regularly that the Lord would be at work among you all. The Lord would work in our community and other churches. The Lord would bring people in. But I'm also praying that the Lord would bring restoration to those who are hurt, to those who are broken, to those who are lonely, scared, and afraid. I don't know how we messed this up, but somewhere along the way we created this illusion that Christianity is for the strong, for the smart, for the powerful, for the successful. But the Bible says that Jesus is our good shepherd that walks among lowly sheep. He gives hope to the hopeless. He gives rest to the weary. To those who have no power, He makes them strong. Are you here today and you're broken? Are you here today and you're lonely? You're scared, you're afraid? I want you to know that the Good Shepherd is there for you with a promise that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You will never walk alone. And so I invite you today. Would you come and meet Jesus, the good shepherd, who gave his life on Calvary so that we might be saved. Had a chance, an opportunity lead a young guy to Jesus this week thrilled my soul I said what is the gospel what you do all the good things I said no the gospel says we've done all the right things he said it and Jesus died for our sin didn't he that's right do you feel like you've done all the wrong things do you feel like maybe all the wrong things have been done to you I want you to know That Jesus loves you where you are. And he invites you to come. So if you're here today.
and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you're not even sure what those words mean exactly, but you know that you need this Savior, just a moment, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing. And when we do, I want to invite you to come forward. I'm going to stand right here, and I would love to pray with you. I would, I would love to, 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 to pass you off to somebody that could walk you through your own salvation experience. Perhaps today you need to come and bow down right here and pray, Lord God, I've ran from my shepherd, but today, Lord God, I bow before you. However the Lord's leading you this morning, my prayer, above all else, is that you would leave here knowing that no matter where you've been or what you've done or what's going on in your life, that you are secure in the hand of Jesus. And you're confident that he will take you home safe. Pray with me this morning. Father God, I pray that you'd be at work among us. Father, as we stand and as we sing, I pray that you would take the feeble words of this pastor, twist them, turn them, Lord God, into powerful tools for your Holy Spirit to work. Lord, I pray that the word of God, Lord, I, I pray with confidence that the word will not return void. Father, for those who feel lonely and afraid I pray that today they would experience not only a God who delivers them from their sin but a God who delivers them to himself lead God and protect in Jesus name we pray amen would you stand with us this morning as we sing